0: We fix the world. We make it a better place. I had a gal come up during the conference, Jewish gal, who's a believer, raised in a very liberal Jewish home, came to know Christ. What a blessing. And she came up to me and asked a dynamic question, and one that I want you to ask yourself when I come to speak each time. And the question she asked She said, I was saved, nominally Jewish, uh, really didn't care about it. I knew I was Jewish, uh, but I came to know Christ, got involved with a denominational church that I loved. They preach the gospel. And I sat down with the pastor and asked him uh, about eschatology. Eschatology is a big word. It, It simply means last things. I asked him, she said, about eschatology and, he, and about the Jewish people, and he just said, you know, they rejected Christ. Uh, God's set them aside for good unless individuals come to know Christ. So she thought, okay, I, I, I guess I understand that. And then she came to the conference, and she's hearing all these different things, and here's the question she asked that I want you to ask yourself. And please, talk to me, because, as I said, some of you might not like what I'm going to speak on. And I think that's okay. I don't want that to happen. But it certainly, if it creates some dialogue and you're interested in talking, I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. And the question she asked was this. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Isn't it important that... Jesus came, suffered, died, rose again from the grave. People who don't know him hear the gospel. They trust him. You have these believers who believe this and these believers who believe that. And So why even bother? I can tell you that amongst brethren, some of you are familiar with brethren assemblies. Uh, That's how this conference actually got started. And there's still several of you who are of that persuasion. I, I happen to be one. But there's maybe some Bible church people, community church people, Baptist uh, people, uh, all kinds of different denominations. And all of them, to a certain extent, have adopted what's called replacement theology. Not all of them, but most of them. In fact, most seminaries, most Bible colleges, and there are few left, uh, period. But many of them have adopted what, what Jewish people call supersessionalism, which means that the church has superseded Israel. Uh, we call it replacement theology. It's called a lot of other names. And so what I thought I'd do, because I think it is significant. I think it's really important. And I'll tell you the punchline now and probably repeat it as we go through. And the punchline is this. From the beginning, God ordained and promised a seed. We know that God created the heavens and the earth and we blew it as Adam and Eve uh, together. First Eve, then Adam. Sin came into the world. We're all in trouble. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I believe all that. And, and most Most, in fact, all Bible believers believe that, and we come to Christ. Then Abraham is called in chapter 12. Abraham believed God, and it was given, imputed, counted, given to him as righteousness. And so the seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 becomes a little bit more refined as God chooses a man, a family. And then he's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Abraham believed, God took him to show him the land, physical, literal land. And he promised that there would be a land for his people, a seed that would come, and a blessing. And throughout the Older Testament text, those promises were given, and we see some of that fulfilled. In my opinion, not all of it fulfilled, but some of it fulfilled, and the most important, through the person and work of Christ. And there are some Christians who say Christ fulfilled that covenant, and as a result, he is Israel. He is Israel, personified. So throughout the tradition of the brethren, some Baptists, uh, community church, Bible church, Uh, And starting probably about 200 years ago came this idea of the church being a separate entity than Israel. And that's primarily the, the, the reason this happened. So it's significant to me because God made a promise to a literal, physical people. He gave them a literal, physical promise. And that promise not just concerned Christ, the Jewish Messiah, but included land. So, here's the issue that we struggle with as Bible-believing Christians. Amongst us, fellowshipping, no problem, but differences, stress. Uh, I've heard many pastors say, you know... This whole eschatology business is so confusing, I don't even want to touch it. I don't want to go near it. It divides the body of Christ. Well, the question is, if Jesus fulfilled literal promises, as we believe he does, and he did, does Israel fulfill a future promise that God has given to them? And that's what we're really going to talk about. Because tonight, we're doing the hope of the rapture. The hope of the rapture. I don't know if you have a hope to be called any moment to meet him in the air. It is the one, one of the most encouraging. and As Bruce talked, wherever you are, Bruce, and talked about, maybe you need lifting up. I, I hope that tonight, not me, but the text, but what we're going to talk about will encourage you. Because the hope of the church is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ taking the church when, I don't know, there are all kinds of TV programs, TV preachers, they tell you, I remember when I was living in Chicago, a guy came out with 88 reasons why Christ is going to come in 1988, he made a mistake, it was 1989, then it was 1990. Uh, We had a family radio guy who said it was going to take place, I think it was 2015 or 14, there were big billboards. Look, if anybody tells you they know, you know it's not the time they tell you. I'm telling you, because Jesus said no one knows. No one knows? And so, but the hope of the rapture is, is, well, we're going to get into it. I I just want to show you a couple things, if I okay I hope you could see it I probably should have made the font bigger but look there are all kinds of charts out there the next event and I'll, I'll attempt to show you why I believe this but the next event in God's calendar is the rapture of the church it's an undateable time you know the, the word says a day is as a thousand years a thousand years is as, as a day Jesus has been gone two days Two days. Uh, We think it's a long time. It might be longer. I don't know how long it's going to be. But so far, it's about 2,000 years. We know he came. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. We know he died, suffered, and rose again. All fulfilling prophecy. And we know that there's a mystery that was born. And tomorrow morning, many of us kind of take this service for granted. I don't. Some of you, it might be the first time. Others of you. Maybe a few times, but here at the camp and in the, the church that I go to, it's every week. Every week we get together. The first service is communion. Many people criticize communion because communion could be boring if it's every week. It would be mundane if it's every week. True. Absolutely true. But it's not the fault of the leadership who make it every week. It's, it's us. We got, we got issues. We get bored. We, we sometimes don't understand the dynamic of that service. But they're going to make it available tomorrow. And Jesus says, as often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. Folks, we ought to approach tomorrow morning as a hair on your neck coming up and saying, wow. Because at least in the first century, when the believers met first day of the week, they said goodbye, Maranatha. Even so come. When I first became a believer, I, I, you know, I heard about the rapture, uh, I, I read the late great planet Earth, all that, but you know what? I hadn't gotten married yet. I wanted to be married. At least at first when I became a Christian, I did. And... Um, I, you know, I, you could come, but make it after that. For if you're younger, you wanted to drive a car, you wanted, or you wanted to go to the prom, or you want, whatever you wanted to do, come after that. And I get it. I do get it. But if you could, could understand what we're going to do tomorrow morning, is to remember fulfillment of prophecy. We sang that Messianic Jewish song. I I really appreciate that. Jesus Messiah, he's the Lord of all. He had been the one that the Jewish people had been waiting for, and he came, and they were blind. The leadership, they, they were so blind and so filled with themselves as leadership that they attributed the things that he did to Satan. It's, it's incredible that they had waited. They, they longed for his coming. And yet when he was right there in front of them. But to your advantage, those of you who are Gentile, through our blindness, the gospel goes to the world. And unbeknownst to the prophets is a group, the church of Jesus Christ. A mystery. So Jews and Gentiles together can come, will honor, remember what he has done for us. What an incredible thing that is. But tomorrow I'm going to have really bad news, incredibly bad news. In fact, not just tomorrow, Sunday night, but Monday night. I'm going to do two messages on the 70th week of Daniel, this tribulation period. Uh, And I'll, I'll shortly be talking about the different views of that. But suffice it to say, for those who believe in a literal 70th week of Daniel that has not been fulfilled yet, you have to read Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And as I've traveled North America, I can tell you that for the majority of the churches, their particular fellowships have not gone into the study, the book of Revelation. If they have, it's been years. And the reason I know that, I don't get to every church. I'm not saying no churches do it. I praise God for any church who does it. But I'm telling you, I hear it time and time again. We just had our conference. People came up to us. They had never heard Matthew 24 and 25 together. Never. Uh, there are people who say, no, our pastor doesn't preach on Revelation. He says it's too confusing. It's too, it's, it's, you have to spiritualize the text. This, when you read it, doesn't really mean that. It means something else. It's too confusing. Let's not even do it. Well, the Tribulation, I believe, is a literal period, but it's not for the church. It's not for the church. It's for Israel. In order, Daniel chapter 9, in order to drive them to their knees so that at the end of this period of time is the glorious appearing of Christ. And then on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'll be speaking on the Millennial Kingdom. And then Wednesday through Friday, I'll try to sort out for you what the kingdom is. You ever hear kingdom songs? You ever hear from the platform... We're building the kingdom of God now? I don't believe that. I don't believe we're in the kingdom. And so we're going to talk about that. Well, that was my intro. I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, Take out your cell phones. Uh, Most of the time they say shut it off. I'm going to ask you to turn it on. Uh, You don't have to do this. This is something I'm going to ask you to do. I'm giving you something free that's available to you. If you go to your app store, you could do it while I'm speaking. I'm fine with that. Go to your app store and type in Israel My Glory. Israel My Glory. And if you do that, I'm not ordering you to, but download it and you'll have access to our magazine, which, by the way, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring copies. I should have, but I didn't. Uh, I have one copy. Uh, But if you're interested in getting it, On your phone, you have to register, and I don't exactly know how to do it because I'm 65 years old and I don't do tech that much. Uh, I do enough. But if you want a hard copy, I'll I'll put out a a sign-up sheet, and even though I can't give you a free one, we'll send it to you free. And you're able to access that, if you download it, uh, three articles per issue without ever paying for it. But I just wanted you to be aware of it. Because that magazine goes to, well, it goes all around the world. And about 150,000 people receive it on a regular basis. So, let's... Uh, Ellis Island. Anybody here descend through, their people come came through Ellis Island? Okay, terrific. Do you know 60 million people came through Ellis Island? Between... I forgot the exact years. Uh, 1892 to 1954, it was a 60 year period. And some 240,000, very small percentage, were turned back. Ellis Island was called the Island of Hope and the Island of Tears. When immigrants came, and boy, isn't immigration in the news like every day it's in the news. And I'm sure in this room, there are varied opinions about how we do immigration now. Uh, My grandparents came uh, in the early part of the 20th century, and everybody has a story. I can only tell you that the 240,000 in those uh, 60 years, mostly, but not 100%, it was trachoma, an eye disease. And the reason... Uh, Ellis Island was called the Island of Hope is because of course the United States had streets of gold and Europeans and other people were coming my people were coming from Eastern Europe and they were leaving persecution leaving difficulty, leaving being poor and heard of the opportunities in the United States this would be their place but they also heard they can turn you home if you had any issue, especially with your eyes, they had a medical team there, and what if one in your family had to be turned back? What do you do? There was anguish. There were tears. It was a, just an incredibly fearful thing. But for those who made it through, which was the overwhelming majority, it became a blessing. And that's really what we're going to talk about for the next four days. The blessed hope of the rapture of the church. But there'll be tears. I'm telling you, I I wish that I, I hope I have the ability to communicate just how horrendous this 70th week is. Not just for the Jewish people, but certainly it's for them. But it's a period of time that, quite frankly, as we have opportunity to communicate Christ to other people, if the rapture should take place and the Antichrist rises and signs his covenant, if that happens in your lifetime, and my lifetime, and to friends and family that you have, what is left for the next seven years, as you read Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, should make us weak for those who are going to endure it. But we have good news. There's good news now. I think Christ is waiting, giving us opportunity to communicate this truth. And so, it's the island of hope, the hope of the rapture, the tears of the tribulation, and the blessing of the millennium. In 1 Corinthians 10.32, there are three kinds of people in the world. And I've been at this conference before, I've given this verse before, but I think it's vital. First, Paul tells us, There's three kinds of people here. There are Gentile people. There are Jewish people. And there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are really two. And those two have an opportunity to make up together the third. So, I've been in congregations where there's multiple Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And we're one in Christ. I can't tell you what good news that is. You read the Older Testament text with a few exceptions, Ruth being one that comes to mind real quick, but there are others as well. But the majority, God called and chose the Jewish people to work with them. But through the rejection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, goes to the whole world. Remember, Jesus, when he first came, said to his disciples, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then when he left, in Matthew chapter 28, What did he say? Go to all the world. So there was a change there. And it's dynamic to to think that God would gift and equip Jewish and Gentile people to come together to worship the Lord uh, and be part of the body of Christ. Paul says the middle wall of partition has been taken away. Man, we don't understand. Anybody been to Israel here Okay, a couple of you have been to Israel. At the Temple Mount, which is no temple there now, but when the temple stood, there was a fence. And the fence was called a sorig. And Jewish people could go through that fence. But if you were Gentile, you couldn't go through that fence. You you could be a God-fearer. You could believe in the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You weren't allowed to go through that fence. But the Apostle Paul says that when Jesus Christ died and rose again and conquered sin and death, those who trust in him, we become one body and the middle wall of partition has been broken. And tomorrow morning, we're going to live that out. So there might be other Jewish believers here that I'm not aware of, but at least me and maybe others will demonstrate in reality that we come together to worship, where back at the first century and before, during the time of Christ, Gentiles couldn't do it. They didn't have access, but now we have access. And so, three kinds of people in the world. So, we want we wanna ask to the, ask these questions uh, and try to understand what this is all about. Well, first of all, in D- Daniel chapter 9, and starting in verse 24... The writer Daniel says that he he is giving this. Actually, Jesus, uh, God is giving it, and he talks about the um, Daniel's people and Daniel's holy place. Seventy weeks are determined for your people, Daniel, and your holy place. So I, I'm sorry to tell you, or happy to tell you, however you want to receive it. When Daniel was given this message. There was no church. There were no churches. Uh, When I first became a Christian, I was discipled by a man, great guy. He worked with friends of Israel. I I didn't know friends of Israel except for him, and this was back in 1976. And I used to go with him, and he used to point a finger whenever we visited somebody, and he wanted me to share my testimony with them. So that was all I did. He talked. He answered biblical questions. And he just said, when I point to you, you share your story. Okay, I I could do that. And that's what we did. And there was one particular place we went to. The guy was working on a house. He was a contractor. He had a saw, an electric saw, and it was loud. And my friend, like me, had a loud voice. And he was preaching to him. And I'm just standing right there. And then my friend said this, Jesus Christ was Jewish. The guy turned off his saw. He never turned it off the whole time. He was preaching and going through all kinds of verses. But when he said, Jesus Christ is Jewish, the guy turned off his soft. Now, I've taken notice. And he looks at my my colleague, my friend, and he said, Jesus Christ is Jewish? He said, yeah, yes. He said, I always thought he was a Christian. (laughs) Think about that. There are some places when they preach the word, they take the Jewish out of Jesus. They take the context out of Jesus. They take the whole thing out. Daniel chapter 9 is saying, 70 weeks are determined for you, your people, your holy place. All that means is, Daniel, this message is yours and your people, it's Jewish. So the first 69 weeks up until when Messiah dies he dies, he rises again most Bible believing churches I'd say all Bible believing churches believe that's true. He died in the 69th week. That's true. They take the 70th week to be the destruction of the temple. And they they give you all kinds of reasons why they believe that. But wait a minute. The 70th week is Jewish as well. The 70th week is an important time. So, not all the promises that God gave to Israel have been fulfilled. The rabbis have writings. These writings, mostly rabbis read them. Uh, we have Now we have so much access on the internet, many of us can read them. But to be honest with you, most Jewish people, most other people, don't want to read rabbinical writings. Ah, rabbinical writings, it can be... It could be crazy. Do you know, up until several years ago, those who were seeking a law degree, I'm talking probably before 50 years ago, were required in many law schools to read the Talmud. Now, if you have insomnia, I would tell you to read the Talmud. It's, it's like 22 volumes translated into English. It's what this rabbi says, and but it's technical. It's, it's precise as it relates to the words of the Bible and how the rabbis interpret it. And so uh, it trained lawyers to think precisely. And the rabbis talked about the birth pangs of the Messiah. Now, whenever I get on birth pangs, that's what women have when they have children. I'm not qualified. I'm in uncharted territory. Just suffice it to say, if men had to have babies there'd be no people. I acknowledge that. So forgive me, and I mean this, because whenever I get to this subject, it's, it's, I'm traveling in a place that I'm, I'm not good at. But I have observed it. We have, my wife, uh, we, we have four children, three pregnancies, but four deliveries, two within 17 minutes of each other. I can tell you this much, that at the beginning... It's not too bad, and the pain is far apart. Now, again, in quotation marks, there's a man saying it's not too bad, but it's not too bad, and it's far apart. And over time, the not too bad becomes worse and closer together. If you ever want to, I'll be happy to buy you a soda and talk to you about how my wife got angry at me. I was watching the, uh, you know, the machines and all that. Another one's coming, and she's just she's German. She just said, Don't tell me anything. Just keep quiet. Go get a coke or something. Okay. The, the birth pangs of the Messiah, according to Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, is the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. Note the text. I believe that the Bible, you read it in a normal way. This doesn't say the church's trouble. It's Jacob's trouble. I wish it didn't say Jacob's trouble. I wish that it wasn't that way. But in Jeremiah chapter 30, the judgment, the trouble, is is going to fall on the Jewish people. And this time of Jacob's trouble, or the birth pangs of the Messiah, is unprecedented time. That's what it's talking about. And the rabbis have a lengthy discussion before the Messiah comes. Uh, There's going to be this unprecedented time of trouble. In passages all throughout the prophets, in in Zechariah and Malachi and Joel, talks about the day of the Lord. This day is not a 24-hour day. It's a time period. It begins at the uh, beginning of the 70th week, and it runs all the way through the Millennial Kingdom. And it's a day that is spoken about great judgment and wrath that God is going to pour out on Israel. It belongs to Israel. Why? Israel was given special privileges. They're the chosen people, the apple of God's eye. They're the ones the Messiah came. He offered the kingdom to them. He demonstrated who he is. And what did they say? Forget about it. But that wasn't the first time. Not when Jesus came, that wasn't the first time Prophets had come years before, been rejected, even killed. And the judgment that's going to follow because they were given the word of God was going to be like none other on the face of the earth. There's three main passages that uh, we have. And I'd like you to turn to John chapter 14. That's the first one, John chapter 14. And in John 14... Starting in verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am. There you may be also. Now. Let me give you. A Jewish wedding course and it will only take a couple minutes. I find it interesting that during the time of Jesus we we even have him going to a Jewish wedding and our culture is so different from the way they did things uh, and I it's just it's helpful to understand what they did. First when I dated my wife I came from California I met her the day after I had arrived. I met her on June 5th, 1976. I remember. She remembers too. She didn't like me at all. I didn't pick up her luggage when she came to the house. So she, was, she just thought, this guy's a jerk. Uh, and, but eventually, we fell in love. In fact, we met in June and got married in December of the same year. I remember asking her father to, uh, for permission to marry, and he just said, wow. Well, I think it's kind of soon. And then her mother heard that and said, Oh, Ernie, just, just be quiet. This is fine. <laughs> well, I valued his wisdom, but she was right. It's more than fine. It's, just, it's 40 and a half years right now. So it's, gr- it's great. But I asked her. We talked way before her parents. Betrothal was the parents come to the other parents. And they have this discussion. And they cut a deal. They make a deal. And when they do, the groom goes back home. The bride stays in her place with her parents. And he goes back home and prepares a place for the bride. He prepares a place. They, it's already decided what's, what's happening Now he's going back, and he's going to build this house, and they're going to wait. Usually, it was a year. But when they made the deal, I don't know if you can see me in the back. Do you know what this means? Look, I use my wife. She's back there. If I had to pay, look, she's, uh, I can't think of a really good uh, department store, Saks Fifth Avenue. She's a Saks Fifth Avenue woman to me but I had a budget, barely Walmart. So if I had to pay, I couldn't have afforded her. They had to pay. You had to to cut the deal and pay, and once you did, you left, and you built a place, and she waited. And when the time came to get the bride, they had a procession. Oh, I mean, there was music. The best man or attendants, the men, Came, they blew trumpets and they were yelling as in the path, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Meanwhile, the bride is waiting. She doesn't know when it's going to happen. She doesn't, she knows she's she's gonna get ready as best she can. She yearns, she waits, she knows her groom is coming. But when she hears the trumpets, when she hears, behold, the bridegroom comes, she I don't know if they had upstairs and downstairs, whatever. She runs down the stairs, out, and they meet together. Now listen to this. The party lasts seven days. Those of you who had big weddings, our wedding was small, but I've been to big weddings. This one is hard to swallow for any culture in the 21st century. Because there, where the guests are, is a chuppah. And it's not just a little fake thing to look like a house. It is an enclosed area. The bride gets they get married to the groom and she has a veil on her head, face. And she goes with her husband into the chuppah where they will be for 7 days. The party lasts 7 days. And you know what they're doing in that chuppah? I I can't discuss it. They're consummating the marriage. And when she went in her face is veiled, And when she comes out to present herself to the, to the guests, she's unveiled. Oh, happy day. The couple has come together. If you understand the Jewish wedding, the church has been likened to the bride of Christ. It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. At the last trump, not Donald Trump, but at the last trump, a trumpet will sound. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and continually throughout that book, if you understand the context, they were wondering, when is this going to happen? happen you've been preaching you spent 3 weeks here and, and we're we're not sure people are dying and wh- you haven't come back yet what what is this all about and so Paul describes to them and tells them that the church is going to be taken up to meet him in the air those who have died those who have died in Christ they're going to rise first and those who are alive are going to join them and meet him in the air now that's significant because if you understand the second coming of Christ, if you read Revelation chapter 19, you know that Jesus Christ returns at the second coming, not in the air. Oh, he's in the air, but he's not meeting anybody in the air. In fact, the church is with him. It tells us in Zechariah, feet will touch on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two. He, he comes to touch his feet on the planet. It's an entirely different scenario. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that we shall all be changed. In an instant, we're going to be changed. What an amazing thing. The hope of the church is that Jesus Christ can come at any moment. And when he does, he's going to take us to be with himself. And from that point on, wherever he is, we will be with him. Look. Look. If that doesn't make you excited, there's nothing else I can do. Jesus Christ is saying, wait for me. Anticipate my coming. Look for me. And while you're doing that, warn people. Tell people. Give them the good news because the wrath that I'm going to pour out is going to be so horrendous and in several places it tells us that the wrath of God does not fall upon the church. Now, my time is almost up. Let me just say here, because I didn't have enough time to get through, because my intro was too long. But I'll I'll catch up. But let me just say, one of the arguments given to me and those friends of Israel who hold this position, that's becoming more and more of a minority of position, is that, oh, you're a Christian, you, you think that you're not going to have any trouble? The church won't experience trouble? Who do you think you are? We're not any better than anybody else. Look, I agree with that. We're not better than anybody. Jesus Christ himself says, in the world you will have what? <coughs> Bruce told us, there might be somebody here, or many bodies here. You're having trouble. And look, I don't care if it's financial, marital, economic, physical, whatever the trouble is, it's your tribulation. I don't want to take it away from you. I don't want to uh, make it a small thing. But I can tell you, whatever you're going through, it is not the tribulation. It is not this period where God is going to pour out His wrath, not on you, on the whole physical world. No, Christian, in fact, Friends of Israel in their magazine, we highlight Christian persecution. The church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century has not had this kind of intense persecution even at the beginning of the church age. I'm telling you, it's unprecedented. But we live in America. North America, we're coming here. Look, camping is not my thing. It's not my thing. Uh, we spent 40 years in the desert. That was enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Holiday in kind of guy. Camp, there's some people say, this isn't camping, this is great. For me, this is camping. But I like it. I like the fellowship. I can't tell you I love the idea of being in a cabin. I can't tell you any of that. But I like the, the fellowship. But I am telling you, this isn't tribulation. This isn't the worst of all things. I, I can tell you, and I ask my wife about it. When we moved, I lost my refrigerator in the kitchen that gave ice cubes. I lost it. There was not an, a water line that you could run We on a slab. You can't run it in the kitchen, unless you want to pay like an absorbent fee. I was mad. My wife's looking at me and saying, What are you so aggravated about? I said, I want my ice. (laughs) That is not the tribulation. It's an inconvenience. But I am telling you, if you pay attention, what the church is experiencing outside of North America, that's tribulation. We ought to be praying for them. But it's not the tribulation. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the wrath that God pours out on the planet. But he does that after the church is gone. Why? Because in spite of what we read about football people and sports people, God does not abuse his wife. For any who think that the church is going through the tribulation, the bride of Christ, God does not abuse his wife. He protects his wife. And he is waiting for more people to become part of the church. How long? Don't know. But I'll tell you, if you know what's coming, and we're going to hear about it for the next two days, evenings, if you know what's coming, it ought to make you so desirous to get the word out. We can't save anybody, but we can get the word out. we got to warn them. we got to tell them. God is gracious. He's not willing that any should perish. Uh, You want to talk to me about people who don't respond to my message? i got family members. They're not interested. I can't save them. But boy, I can communicate to them. I can set them aside and try to talk to them if they will listen. And so I hope that uh, on the evenings that I'm here and we go to a, a sad time starting tomorrow, very sad time, but I hope it will give us first to know the grace of God that he saved me. I'm happy about it. He saved me. He saved you. We are not appointed to wrath. Oh, what a blessing that is. But what a difficulty it's going to be. Father, we come to you as the, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the living God, the true God. There's no one like you. Why does any of this matter? Well, Lord, you gave certain promises to Israel. And you're a promise-keeping God. And I believe you're going to fulfill them. If you don't, what about the promise that you've given to us? If you break a promise to them, you're capable, Lord, of breaking that promise with me. God forbid. It's not part of your attribute. You're not a lying God. You're a fulfilling God. You're a promise-keeping God. And so, I believe that you're going to deal with Israel. And I believe that you're going to deal with the church. And Lord, as we study these things, I pray that the hope that we have will so motivate us as we understand deep distress that's going to come on planet earth. Help us to love people in Christ. To Christ. For his sake. Amen.